Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Lincoln Journal Star's Life in the Red podcast. Luke Mullen joined by Wilson Moore, as usual. Uh, we got a lot to talk about, Wilson. We've, we took a little bit of a week off. Sorry to anybody who missed us, but you were down in Oklahoma. We had a lot going on. There's football updates, baseball updates. And of course, we want to talk about uh, softball's NCAA tournament run, but we'll get to all that in a minute. You all right? You survived uh, a trip down to Oklahoma? I did, yeah. First time ever in Oklahoma. Um, saw the uh, bustling metropolis of Stillwater. Um, covered some softball. Pretty eventful weekend. I think uh, a more eventful weekend than certainly I was expecting yeah. uh, going into that for Nebraska softball. Definitely. Some some dusty roads on the on the way down absolutely. there. <laughs> Winding through get. Kansas. Yeah, absolutely. It's... You know, a lot of people, a lot of people complain about I-80 West through Western Nebraska, but ultimately, I think, I think you're getting those desolate highways, uh, no matter where you, no matter what direction you leave, you leave there, Nebraska. Are more, there are more hills in Nebraska, yeah. I noticed. Nebraska, you at least get some up and down. It's just flat going through Kansas. Absolutely. So you survived, you saw the, uh, the tournament and we'll break that down in a minute, but want to start with football like we usually do. Uh, some big, big news. Quarterback Dylan Rayola, of course, a pursuit that's lasted months, years even, um, dating back to his first trip to Nebraska a few years ago, was there at the Friday Night Lights camps. He's been back with his family, with his brother, with his dad. Well, finally, we have a decision, well, a second decision after uh, the Ohio State commit a, a few years ago. But officially, Dylan Rayola committed to Georgia over Nebraska, uh, ending a long pursuit. And it's kind of a... Uh, it's kind of tough because they go after this guy for months, for years, and ultimately it doesn't lead anywhere. But it's pretty easy to understand why the nation's number one recruit would want to go to Georgia. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's just, I, I think, you know, if you just look at it from an objective perspective, you know, removing Dylan Rayola's connections to Nebraska, yeah, yeah. it's hard to, it's hard to imagine a top prospect. Um, picking Nebraska over Georgia. With that said, obviously there were the connections and I think that's what makes it just, you know, a little disappointing for, for Nebraska, just in the sense of this was a prospect who kind of, you could speed up the timeline of what Matt Rule is trying to do. You know, you come in with a new coach, uh, something of a rebuild at that point. Dylan Rayola was the kind of guy who can make that move, move that forward a little more quickly than it might've otherwise. Yeah. And it's, I mean, that's part of what the recruiting pitch was. I'm sure too, like it's to Rayola and Nebraska be saying, Hey, you come here, you win. You're going to go down in history. Like obviously his, his family's already gone down in history, but to continue that legacy and to be that quarterback that, you know, rule wants to, to bring Nebraska to that next step, you know, that's, that's probably what they pitched him on. But if you think about what Georgia pitches him on, it's, Hey, you're going to make it to the NFL you're going to get the chance to win national championships. So very different situations, different circumstances for him, you know, when he's making that decision. Um, but easy to see why they would go after him. Like even, even if it's going to be a long shot for Nebraska, like if you're talking about the nation's number one recruit, I mean, you got to go after that guy with everything you've got. And ultimately I think the kind of the interesting thing is it kind of put a damper on their other 2024 quarterback options and you saw it was it was a wait and see. They were waiting for Rayola for for quite a few months, and ultimately, WS quarterback Daniel Kalen, who Nebraska was very high on, uh, ended up committing to Missouri a couple months ago. And you think, okay, they've lost out on him. You know, they've kind of 
made their choice to pursue Rayola. Well, everything kind of flipped on its head this week. You get kind of the dominoes that happen there, which I'll be interested to see quickly what happens at Georgia because they have they got another 2024 quarterback commit too. So we'll see what happens with the Bulldogs. But anyway, the big news, Daniel Kalen flipping from Missouri to Nebraska. Uh, really good for Nebraska to get that 2024 quarterback out of the way because didn't sign a high school guy in 23. Richard Torres is gone. I mean, they need an up-and-coming guy to, to come through this program. Yeah, and Kalen is, you know, he's not the number one recruit in the nation, but that's not a bad consolation prize after missing out on a right. Raiola, like you said, a home, homegrown guy, you know, had a lot of interest. And yeah, I, th- I think, like you said, it didn't take long for the dominoes yeah. to fall back in place. It certainly made sense. You can see how one thing led to another with his commitment. What, no more than a couple days after Raiola uh, committed to Georgia. Yeah, exactly. And it's one of those things, too, where Kalen, I mean, his his offer came from the previous staff when when Scott Frost was the head coach. And when the quarterbacks coach, he's been through a couple of different quarterbacks coaches as well. Um, and that relationship, I think, you know, it kind of stayed up. There was always that interest, I think, between Kalen and Nebraska. But I think it's interesting to to see it from his perspective, too. Like, because there are some players that you'd have to think that, you know, ultimately, if you are that second option to Rayola, there's some guys I think that would be like, hey, that's disrespectful. Like, you got to be all in on me. But I think he kind of has that emotional intelligence to kind of realize like what Nebraska's perspective was. And I think for him too, you know, just doing what's best for himself, you know, that's what you want from all the athletes, you know, making their college decisions. So staying home, you know, having that opportunity, I think clearly he identified that as, as, Hey, you know, this outside stuff, it doesn't matter. All that matters is that he wanted to be a Husker. So. Yeah. And leaving Missouri, that's a team with, uh, a bit more of a glut of quarterbacks than mm-hmm. Nebraska. I think his path to playing time there would be a little more, a little tougher to navigate than at Nebraska. They've got Sam Horn as a guy they're really high on um, going into his sophomore year this year. They think he's he's the real deal. So I think he has, um, Kalen has a bit more of a path toward playing time. You can see it a little better at Nebraska than Missouri. Yeah, that's a good point. Because like I mentioned, you know, the lack of the younger quarterbacks, well, they got Jeff Sims, who has two years left, Chubba Purdy, Heinrich Harburg. These guys are both juniors, too. They've used up a couple of years of eligibility. So you're expecting that they're going to have some of that path to playing time down the road. And in particular, you know, just uh, from what I've seen from Kalen, um, it's kind of an interesting one because you kind of have this concept of Sims as mobile, you know, agile guy and get out, get out there and run. And Kalen has a little bit of that, but I, I think he's a lot more of a, a pocket passer type um, which you might you might be like, well, you know, shouldn't they recruit a quarterback who's going to be able to do all these different aspects of the offense? But ultimately, you know, rules set a lot of times they're going to be able to tailor the offense to the the quarterback's needs. And from what I see from Kalen, um, just watching him at Bellevue West a little bit, I mean, he's an excellent passer, very accurate, strong arm, uh, reads the offense very well. And the spread style offense that Bell West plays, you know, I mean, he's he threw to two top 150, you know, national recruits at wide receiver last year, they've got great linemen, um, you know, a great system, great overall team talent. So I think that's prepared him a lot right away. He's been playing in the system. And something interesting about Kalen too, is I believe it was two, two or three years ago, uh, Bellevue West had a quarterback, Luke Johansson, who was very good, very solid, talented quarterback. Kalen, just an up and coming freshman, sophomore, 
the Bellevue West coaching staff liked him so much that they take out the regular starting quarterback in Johansson, get Kalen in there for a couple of drives because they knew they knew this kid was going to be special. They needed to get him some varsity snaps uh, early in his career. That's really paid off. And I think he's, like I said, I mean, he's a, he's an intelligent player. I'm really impressed with what I've seen from him so far and joins that 2024 uh, recruiting class, a big one, getting that quarterback out of the way. So finally, all that, all that Dylan Rayola stress, it's gone. Stress about Daniel Kalen while he's here, he's, uh, he's committed. And, and that's the update on, uh, <laughs> on the quarterback situation as things stand. But Another addition too, uh, actually, you know, we we're kind of, I was kind of expecting things to slow down a little bit, but it, it never ends transfer portal, uh, visitors, there's always stuff going on in the portal and these, uh, these off season departures opened up two scholarships for walk-on guys that were granted and evidently another scholarship that was able to go to a transfer portal player, uh, Utah offensive lineman, Tyler Knack, uh, just announced he's transferring to Nebraska Redshirt as a freshman out there at Utah, four years of eligibility left, and really a big one because we've talked a couple times about offensive line depth, and especially at tackle, it's kind of a thing where they've been moving guys out there, training them at tackle just to see what happens, uh, particularly left tackle, Teddy Prohaska. He's been a starter for two years, uh, but he's he's missed over half the season both of those times, so really big addition, I think, for for the depth of that offensive line. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we heard a lot, especially in the spring, about this much maligned offensive line. And this is a solid death pickup. You know, a guy who was recruited, you know, a, a power five recruit yeah. in high school. And, you know, for, this is the kind of thing that happens a lot these days, especially in the transfer portal era. You know, he was, he didn't get playing time at, youth, at Utah, redshirted. Now he's coming somewhere where he can be, you know, I think it looks like at least, you know, rotational depth piece on, on the other line. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the kind of guy that you want to target to somebody that, hey, he's he's been able to, you know, maybe go through a year of the conditioning program, you know, learn what it is about college football, but he's still got yeah. all four years left. So that potential is out there. And I think another key note there, I'm, I'm not sure exactly, you know, how much of a factor offensive line coach Donovan Rayola played in, in maybe Knack's recruitment originally, um, wasn't sure, you know, how, how much he targeted him there. But Rayola has really strong connections in Utah, by the way. The Pacific Northwest, all those states up there. Uh, he He's kind of the main guy recruiting those states for Nebraska. And he makes his rounds talking um, talking to coaches, looking at linemen. So I have to imagine that uh, Rayola's connections in Utah helped uh, pay out and, and get Knack uh, here to Nebraska, by the way. So joining the team as a transfer. Uh, one other football note to share. We had a, there's a big report from ESPN earlier this week about the Big Ten as a whole, not just Nebraska, talking about the TV deal. Of course, you know, we heard this CBS, NBC, Fox, you know, this huge deal. That's why you get USC and UCLA coming to the Big Ten. I mean, this has been a big, big deal for the conference, something that former commissioner Kevin Warren, this was going to be kind of his, you know, his legacy there in the Big Ten. Well, the ESPN report comes out and it it says that the TV deal isn't even finished, uh, that the Big Ten is scrambling uh, to finish this thing before it kicks into into action this fall, which, you know, obviously there's there's a lot of details. I mean, this yeah, is complicated I mean, stuff, but you'd think, you'd think that that stuff would be done, right? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I can't claim to be an expert on this yeah, kind of thing, either, but either, I, yeah. I would think they would have the TV de- deal done more than three months yeah. ahead of time, but yeah. We, weird time in college athletics. Absolutely. Oh. 
So by the way, the the new Big Ten commissioner, Tony Petiti, um, kind of stressful for him, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. you get a you get a new gig and you gotta finish something, some you know, multi, multi-million dollar contract. Um, and so Nebraska Athletic Director Trev Alberts, he kind of briefly addressed this on his uh, monthly radio show. And he was he was just kind of uh, supportive of Petiti, said he's gonna iron out those details and um, really important for him to do so because the TV deal, by the way, I mean having those exclusive windows for the Big Ten, getting onto CBS, having those night games on NBC, um, the exposure for the Big Ten, I mean, as part of their long-term goal, you know, to be one of those dominant conferences seemingly alongside the SEC that that we've seen. But one of the key details from that ESPN report was that Michigan, Penn State, Ohio State, not really uh, on board with the idea of playing these November night games, which kind of goes down down to the the Big Ten tradition. You know, they didn't even have night games at Michigan or whatever for decades, you know, decades. It hasn't even been that long. So you kind of understand the cold climate. You don't want to put your team through that. But at the same time, I mean, this is this is a big deal for the Big Ten. It's like you're really gonna let a couple teams, you know, derail the thing for the rest of the conference. We'll see. We'll see. Um again, out of our hands, we're just spitballing on it. Uh, TV deals and whatnot. We're just here to to talk about sports. So let's get on to the uh, the softball tournament. Uh, Nebraska softball made the NCAA tournament. Pretty tough regional, I think, overall there in Stillwater, Oklahoma. Uh, a really good softball state, Sooners and the Cowboys, uh, Oklahoma State. Both of them really, really good, really strong programs. Um, and it was uh, a pretty emotional, pretty crazy first couple of days of, of the regional for Nebraska, right? Yes, it was. You really saw both uh, both ends of the spectrum in those first two days. There, first um, Friday night, five nothing lead late late in the game. Just kind of a defensive meltdown at the at the end puts them in a really tough position because at that point they need to go four and zero to make it out of there. Um, lost to a very good Wichita State team who had beaten them twice in the uh, regular season. Um, Followed that up Saturday afternoon, beats a just happy to be there UMBC team that went to and out. And that set up Saturday night, one of the probably, I'm not going to say probably the craziest game of the regional. Nebraska was down three runs with two outs in the seventh inning and a runner on first. All Wichita State needed to do was get one out before allowing five consecutive hits. Couldn't do it. Game goes into extra innings. Maya Felder ties it up. Wichita State picks up two in the eighth. Uh, Nebraska comes back again, walks it off. Caitlin Canada's fielder's choice. Wild game. And just a game that I think you can make the case made the regional successful. Absolutely. You know, this yeah. this um, Ronda Ravel said as much. Um, we uh, After she said, we advanced a game further than we did last year and that's progress and um so big winning is a really good wichita state team um lost to oklahoma state the next day nebraska was just running on fumes at that point between an extra inning game having to play an extra game from because they lost they had played 23 innings uh going into that game uh two pitchers pitched all 23 of those innings their opponent oklahoma state had played 13 because they run ruled the team and had three pitchers pitching those 13 innings. So just a much more fatigued Nebraska team. Courtney Wallace pitching her 222nd inning of the year. It was just a team 
you know, even putting aside how good Oklahoma State was, Nebraska was just out of gas by that point, I think, even if they didn't want to admit it. And uh, still came close. Uh, actually had a lead in the seventh. Oklahoma State had a lot of hard contact. Could have been a very different game before they finally took the lead, but ended of uh, end up losing 5-2, closing the book on just a strange Nebraska softball season. Um, it's a season that, depending on your perspective, could have been a lot better or a lot worse. Um, a lot of close games, some of which they won, some uh, big wins, tough losses, and now they go into the offseason. Um, having made the NCAA tournament uh, in consecutive seasons for the first time since 2016. So something to build off there. Yeah, big, big credit to head coach Rhonda Ravel, her program, making those two NCAA tournaments. And probably the, I mean, that Wichita State comeback, I mean, that's the highlight of the season. Like if, if you're thinking about players on the team, like memories that are made, I mean, that's, that stuff is, is what they're going to come back and remember, you know, five, 10 years. Hey, remember when we came back in that NCAA tournament game. So yeah, credit to them. That was uh, incredible to watch. And I mean, hey, uh, a is, late late night I, for you at the ballpark very, uh, for yeah. a couple of those, two, right? Two straight late yeah. nights. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing that, you know, you said the highlight of the season, It that it came 24 hours after the low light of the mm-hmm. season, you know, blowing a five-run lead yeah. in the late innings of a tournament game. Just, you really saw the uh, the duality of sports there, the, uh, the thrill of victory, the agony of defeat, and one 24-hour span. Yeah, no kidding. And I mean, if you just think, like, you, you talked a little bit of a big-picture thing, too, about the season as a whole. Well, I mean, how, how disappointed they would have been, and, you know, if they'd gone 0-2 in the tournament. Well, you know, they, they win, too, and I think you can leave with your heads held high, you know, losing that final game to Oklahoma State for, for all the reasons that you said. And, you know, that, that can obviously be a tough one for the seniors, you know, wrapping up their career. Uh, Maya Felder and Courtney Wallace are the two that that really stand out from uh, from this year's group, but seem to be in, in high spirits despite the uh, the season coming to an end there. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think it was a very reflective tone mm-hmm. after that that last game, able to talk to both of them. Um, both are sticking around Nebraska. Um, Maya is working on her PhD. She has quite a bit of academia ahead of her. Um, Courtney has another uh, year of grad school. But it's interesting because those are the only two seniors leaving. And so it makes for an interesting dynamic in that they're bringing back, Nebraska will bring back most of the same team, but the two they lost were pretty major yeah. contributors. Courtney Wallace pitched more innings uh, this season than any Husker has in a season since 2013. They, have, they only have two holes to fill, but they are big holes. Definitely. The Iron Woman uh, yeah. there in the pitching circle, Courtney Wallace, she will be missed. Um, both, by the way, really great teammates. Their yeah. their teammates always held them in high esteem. So both, both captains, yeah. Leadership, pitching. I mean, these are these are the things that uh, Ronda Ravel will have going through her mind the next couple of months. So, yeah, like I said, Wilson was there. He'll be uh, he'll be sticking at it, seeing if we have any uh, softball updates to come. But want to touch in on baseball um, as well. They're currently in the midst of the big t- the Big Ten tournament. Um, always interesting, you know, softball a couple weeks ahead in the calendar, um, but both these sports, you know, into postseason play. And just a quick recap on where we were. Uh, Nebraska baseball swept Penn State, took two or three from Purdue in the next series. So entering the tournament hot, having won six of their last seven, uh, those are both really good 
uh, programs, by the way, as well. So what Nebraska's walking into, though, is a situation where most of the teams in the field, them included, they need to win it to make the the NCAA tournament. So it's it's really, you know, pressure, pressure situation for them. Um, in particular, there are a couple teams there that kind of lead the field, Indiana, Iowa, and Maryland. And those are the three that you're already looking at being in the NCAA tournament field. So pressure's off for them a little bit. I think, you know, they still might need a win or two just to kind of secure their seating. But those three teams all kind of had, they had the regular season to do what they needed to do. And the interesting thing, as we record this, the opening round, a few of the opening round games have already been completed. And Iowa had a pretty easy one, 13-3 win over Michigan, but not easy for those other two teams that really excelled there in the regular season. Indiana beat Illinois 4-3, and Maryland only 3-2 over a Michigan State team that, sorry Spartans, but I, I <laughs> Michigan State really did not impress me during the regular season. So seeing them play Maryland, who I, I think is an excellent hitting team, so close, um, you know, pitching matchups probably played in a little bit, but still, I think really... You, you look at the Friday night starters that these teams have, and that kind of balances, levels the playing field for these opening round matchups. So I think we saw that a little bit in that one. And so Nebraska, the last opening round game, uh, starting today, Wednesday, as we record this, uh, they will be playing Rutgers. Nebraska, the number four seed in the tournament, Rutgers number five. And it will be usual Friday starter for Nebraska, left-hander Emmett Olsen, uh, Maryland awaiting the winner in that one. So Really important. I I think, you know, this kind of goes without saying for double elimination, but you really just have to win that first one. Can't Absolutely. fall in the loser's bracket. Especially with your, yeah. with your Friday starter on the mound. And in particular, I think this is, it's so important for Nebraska too, because the bullpen's been really inconsistent this year. Like you can trust them in certain moments, but the more you trot them out there, the more risk you have that, that things kind of spiral out of control or that you burn your best arms, you know, and you might need them later in the tournament. So that's kind of the calculus there um, as Nebraska starts things off. And like I said, I, I think they need to go all the way. I mean, getting as far as possible, you know, in the tournament, maybe being one of those last three teams left standing, you know, that's a successful tournament. But you look at some of the players that they have and you want them to be playing in June. You look at, uh, in particular, we had some of the Big Ten all-conference teams came out and Nebraska has two first-team selections uh, second baseman Max Anderson and shortstop Bryce Matthews. These guys have been hitting home runs all year. They're both hitting at a, a really high mark. Anderson hitting 412, which is the best in the entire Big Ten. Uh, really incredible, um, by the way. Both of them 20-plus home runs. Like These are guys that these seasons, I mean, they stand out. Any conference, any team in the nation. Um, so... We'll see what they can do in the tournament because Nebraska, Nebraska needs them more than more than ever in this moment. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's I think it's a testament to how jam-packed the Big Ten is that Nebraska is the is the four seed in the tournament and basically needs to run the yeah, table right. to win. You know, I think yeah. that that speaks really to the chasm between those three teams you mentioned earlier and just everyone else there in the middle. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's it's a good year in general for the Big Ten because I think most years they're kind of around two bids, like maybe they can sneak in a third, but to have three solid teams, it means the competition uh, has been good this year. And by the way, if you make that point, if you look at the RPIs, I think those three tournament teams are like, they're like in the 30 to 40 range. Nebraska's down at like 90 to 100. <sighs> and 
pretty much so is the rest of the rest of the Big Ten. So spot on with that one. And by the way, the other two all conference picks outfielder Gabe Swanson was a second team pick. He's hit a lot of home runs this year. Uh, been a good bat in the outfield. And Nebraska closer Shea Shanneman, also a third team selection. He's had some big outings. He's gone, you know, three, four scoreless innings at times to earn and save. And if Nebraska is going to go far in this tournament, they will need uh, they'll need Shanneman for some big innings down the road. So uh, that's your Big Ten tournament preview. Uh, we'll have Evan Bland, our colleague from the World Herald. He'll be pretty much uh, setting up shop there. But stay tuned to JournalStar.com. We will have Big Ten tournament coverage uh, for you. And just a quick note as we close this one out, want to shout out the Nebraska track and field team sending 56, that's a lot, uh, different entries to the first round, uh, first regional of the NCAA postseason out there in the West uh, West Division. It's a four-day regional meet, um, 29 different Nebraska men, 27 from the women's team uh, out there, the most bids for this regional meet uh, since 2010. So Justin St. Clair, the first year uh, permanent head coach, doing a great job. We will see how many of those make it all the way to the uh, outdoor nationals, but a lot of great, a lot of great opportunities. They've got a lot of great throwers. So again, we'll have the updates for you there at journalstar.com, um, seeing how those track and field athletes get on this weekend. But we got a, we got a little bit of a, a lighter week. You know, yeah. there's there's going to be a lot of recruiting down a little bit. Yeah, a lot of recruiting going on in June, but softball now wrapping up. Like you said, track and field, baseball, those last two uh, spring sports. I think tennis is is finishing up as well. So stuff going on. We will have uh, another Life in the Red for you next week, wrapping up the Big Ten tournament. Again, looking ahead to a busy June there uh, in football recruiting. But I think that's all the updates we've got for you today. Um, once again, appreciate all of your support, all of you regular uh, listeners and viewers. So this will do it for today's Life in the Red. Uh, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.